Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail. This is Jacob joining you as always, and today I am joined in person, I think for the first time that we're recording a podcast in person. I'm, I can't remember if that's true, but in any case, my wonderful co-host joining me in person for what might be the first time in like a year and a half. Yes. Hannah Raffet, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. You've, of course, been on many times, but we've been recording. I mean, it's pretty easy to record via Zoom. Um, not the same, though. It's not the same. It's great to see you in the flesh and pod. I think the last in-person podcast we did, you were moving out of your apartment. And now here we are oh, at yeah. a, another friend's apartment that is also moving out. Yeah, exactly. We've We've been recording in, like bathrooms and closets, closets of uh, apartments that are are undergoing transition. So yeah, right back where we started after like a year. Um, so great. Uh, and what we're planning on talking about today and for the next few episodes is the standard layout, what to expect for listeners when you go and listen to a symphony. And this also actually holds for a lot of the stuff that we'll talk about holds for if you go and listen to a string quartet or a sonata for like violin and piano, cello and piano. It's a little different with concertos, but a lot of the same things will also apply. And what I want to talk about is, you know, many of our listeners will go to a classical concert now that they're coming back in person. Hopefully a lot of our listeners will be going in person and, you know, you might see Beethoven's Fifth Symphony on the concert, or uh, Sibelius' Fifth Symphony, or Mahler First Symphony, whatever. And uh, most of those pieces, two of the ones I mentioned there, will have four movements. The Sibelius was a bad example because it only has three. But the vast majority of symphonies have four movements. And those movements usually unfold in a pretty standard way they unfold kind of in a progressively more complex way over the history of music, but in the same general way that was set out in the mid-1700s when symphonies started to be composed. Now, like in art, like in drama, and so many artistic fields, the the kind of standards of form, the the standard genres get pushed to the limits. And so when you get modernism, there's you know, tweaking slash breaking of forms. Romanticism is about expanding these forms to their expressive limit. But I want to talk a little bit about the, the main parameters that a listener might expect from a given movement so that when they're listening to a four movement symphony, they have a little bit of a roadmap for each mo- movement of like, what should I expect? And uh, what might happen here. So Hannah, I want to start with you and just general impressions. If anything jumps out immediately in your experience going and listening to a a wide variety of symphonies in, in the concert hall, um, is there anything about the first movement of symphonies that jumps out to you that, that seems to be kind of something that happens often in first move in the your experience of listening to first movements versus any of the other movements of a symphony well i think um it's obviously if if it's the movement that comes first it obviously can't help but set the tone for the whole piece itself 
Um, and it's the one when I was lucky enough to go in person. I have yet to go to a classical concert in person yet, but um, post quarantine. But I think the first movement was the one that I always made sure to sort of pay as close attention to mm-hmm. as possible um, so that you get the most investment for your time. So typically you will probably hear things later on in in the piece that might have perhaps appeared in some sort of form in the first movement. Um, it's almost, I in the beginning of my experience of getting introduced to, to classical music, I used a lot of my experience with musical theater and there's the overture um in traditional musical theater and that will just play a bunch of the themes that you're going to hear throughout the show so that you understand sort of what's going on and you can re-recognize so i think utilizing that skill and that tool that i had built years prior was really beneficial to soaking up as much as i could for the first movement of symphonic works yeah, so I think one thing that you said there um, is particularly important. Well, all, all of what you said is is uh, notable because I think the first movement, like you said, it's the first thing we hear. And so it often kind of does the job of, like you said, especially in, in early symphonies, mm. actually in late symphonies too, it does the job of setting the general scene, the general mood of the symphony um, and there are many exceptions for where there's, you know, a, a, some movement that's totally different from, from the scene that's set in the first movement. But, but I also think, um, what you said about like investing the most amount of attention into the first movement is actually a very good idea because my general, description of of first movements in the most general terms is that they're kind of like a self-contained piece within a piece Mm. you know if there was one movement of most symphonies that you could excerpt perform as a standalone work and it would feel substantial enough it would be the first movement Mm. usually the first movements are the longest Mm. i'd say and usually they're, they're thought of as kind of the most intellectual, we might say, the most compositionally complex. You know, a lot of times those of us kind of in classical music, when we think about how good a piece is and how well composed it is, you're primarily looking at the first movement. This is definitely true of concertos. Like if you... I'm trying to think of the concertos that we saw at, like Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, for example. Huge, huge first movement. The second and third movements are shorter and a little more virtuosic, but the first movement is this big expanse and often gets big applause after it's done. And so that's one thing, I think that's the the hallmark of first movements, is that they're kind of a piece within a piece. And the reason for that is that symphonies kind of, in their early stages, included the first movement, which was this this fully-fledged piece within a piece. And then three movements that were really kind of like character pieces. There was a slow movement, which was kind of a romance or an intermezzo or something. There was a minuet, which or some sort of courtly dance. And then there was a 
virtuosic but often somewhat trivial finale that's just shows off the virtuosity of the players. So the first movement was usually by far the most substantial. And I'm curious, uh, Hannah, if you, does that, um, do you remember in your, like, like you think about some of the pieces that you, you listen to or like the most. I know you've mentioned many times Beethoven 7 is one of them. Mm. Beethoven 7 has a super long, weighty first movement. Um, and then the other movements are, in that symphony, they're also pretty long, mm. but they still adhere to something of this mold. So I'm curious if that, does that ring with your experience of listening to symphonies at all? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, yes, I love, I love Beethoven 7. <laughs> and um, that, tr- that definitely tracks on the whole as to like the structure of a symphony and how the movements sort of play out mm-hmm. for the listener's experience, for sure. Yeah, so what I want to do uh, is to listen to some examples, of some little clips from first movements throughout history to kind of show some of the stuff that is going on in in these first movements. And we'll do the same with the other movements of the symphony on, on other episodes. But um, this hopefully will give some sense for the listener of what what a first movement of any symphony is interacting with historically because like you know i think i think um i'm trying to think about kind of the analog in 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 the world of theater or something like that i mean you have these different types of plays that if you go to see a tragedy you know there's certain there's certain elements of the form of a tragedy that you immediately are thinking of, regardless of the tragedy it is that you're seeing. But if you know you're going to see a tragedy, you are thinking about Romeo and Juliet and King Lear and whatever, and you're not thinking maybe so much about Midsummer Night's Dream and Comedy of Errors or whatever. Um, same with a musical, same with a comedy, same with, you know. Um, and that's that's kind of what happens in in the movements of a symphony. So every composer writing symphonies is aware of this historical baggage and there's some way that they're interacting with it in some way. So first we can listen to a, a little bit of a symphony from, from Mozart, very early symphony. I chose this one because this is one of the symphonies Mozart wrote when he was a young kid. And this was him kind of as a student almost. No real, I mean, not 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 no new ideas, but he was kind of, still a student learning and following, trying to write just a nice, crisp, clean symphony in the late 1700s. So we'll just listen to a minute or two of this and then Hannah will get some impressions. Thank you. 
So the overall like sense I get from that short lesson is that there's just an overall liveliness. Um, but then most of all, you hear like an idea introduced um, at the very beginning and then it gets repeated and then um, redeveloped and repeated again and reintroduced throughout that whole short clip with the overall sense and emotion of liveliness. Okay, so a few things. So the general mood that's created, like you said, is probably one of liveliness, mm -hmm. excitement. So immediately, just off the bat, some of this stuff feels very obvious in a way, but um, it's worth saying, you know, that's, that is one of the hallmarks of first movements is that they're often pretty fast. They're in a like moderate to fast tempo. And they're often, I wouldn't say they're always lively, but they're often in some way high energy. Mm -hmm. um, it could be a lyrical high energy, but they're in some way, there's a motor and there's a drive from beginning to end, which is very different from say a slow movement where it's relaxed. It's And so immediately that's that's something to know about just in general first movements that they kind of have this moderate to fast tempo a lot of the time and it's very driven. Mm. Another thing you said there was perfect. Traditionally and in a lot of first movements, there is an idea that's presented right at the beginning often that then gets developed. Mm. You think about the, the best example of this is Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, where the first thing you hear is ba -ba -ba -bum. and the entire first movement, you think about that one, very high energy, very up-tempo, but the entire first movement is a development of that one idea. Mm. Um, so that's a great thing to notice. Now, do you remember any impressions of what happened kind of later in the clip? You know, there's there's a few kind of key moments that, that develop. For a, for a moment, it felt as if the initial idea of the first movement sort of got... Um hypothesize or like it got reinterpreted in a way that it felt like the original idea had been like inverted on itself oh yeah that's actually that's okay I I, I think I know the spot that you're talking about okay. and that's a that's a that's a very detailed observation which I like I mean that and to a certain extent you're you're totally right like there's there's a little game going on with the the intervals that he introduces yeah. at the beginning what I'm going for is maybe even a little more general mm. in that, you know, right at, off the bat, you hear this very lively music. And then just a few seconds later, it becomes much more, I wouldn't say relaxed, but it's softer, mm. much more kind of um, placid and it's brief. But the other main thing that happens in first movements a lot of the time is a battle of contrasting characters. And we've talked before on this podcast about something called sonata form, but we should remind listeners of it now because almost every first movement written in a somewhat classical or classically informed style is in sonata form. So every one of the Beethoven symphonies, first movement, every one of the Brahms, symphonies, every one of the Schumann symphonies, every one of the Mendelssohn symphonies, certainly all of the Mozart, Haydn symphonies. These are every first movement sonata form. 
except for a very, very few exceptions, but not in Beethoven, not in Brahms, not in Schumann. Um, and even in later works, a lot of times, some kind of semblance of sonata form is there. And the key of sonata form is two contrasting themes. A primary theme, which is usually more tumultuous, excited, lively, jovial, whatever, but up energy, uh, exciting, and a more lyrical second theme. And so that's another thing to watch out for in first movements is this contrast between this one idea that's more driven and another idea that's a little more lyrical. Mm -hmm. And that happens all over the place. And the first movement is kind of a working through of those ideas and contrasts. In this Mozart symphony we heard, which is his 15th symphony, in case people want to go and listen to it, all of that happens in the course of 45 seconds or whatever Mm -hmm. right there. Um, And then you heard at the end, the energy picks back up because often at the end of the first section, there's a little coda that wraps things up. But in, in later symphonies, this might unfold. That was just what we call the exposition. That might unfold over the course of eight, 12 minutes. Um, but early on, we can hear it in, in the music of Mozart. Even there, we get this hint of what first movements are about. And you identified a lot of the best stuff. An idea that kind of starts the symphony and sets the tone for the whole piece jovial, excited, upbeat character, and these contrasts. Mm. So now let's fast forward a little bit and listen to Beethoven's first symphony. This is, you know, maybe 20 years later, and Beethoven kind of picking up where the classicists of Mozart and Haydn left off. But immediately when Beethoven started writing symphonies, he started pushing the the limits of the mold. And so even in his first symphony, he was doing things that experimented with first movements, with symphonies. So here's a little clip from the first movement of Beethoven's first symphony. So there's the kind of the opening couple minutes of, it's really not actually the opening couple minutes, but a few minutes from Beethoven's first symphony. So one thing he does right off the bat, which I skipped here, but our listeners can go listen to, is he starts this first movement with a slow introduction, which is something that you'll often hear. The music will start slowly, and then after about a minute or two minutes, 
you'll get into the meat of the movement, which is the fast music. Mm. The slow introduction is kind of a relic of French music, actually, which would often start with this slow processional uh, beginning to an overture. Like if you've heard Handel's Messiah or a lot of these pieces start with a kind of slow procession very briefly, and then they get into the fast music. And so that's kind of where this slow introduction to a lot of symphony first movements comes. But in this clip, Hannah, I'm curious, that was the the beginning of the allegro fast portion of, of this symphony. And comparing that to what we just said about the Mozart and what you heard, um, how did this one track? Any Anything that felt like what you expected, what, what was similar and were there any differences that you noticed? I mean, what was similar was that there was an introduced idea and then it kept being reintroduced and then developed and then expanded on and then prob- and then lightly returned back to. Um, for me, and maybe it's because I've heard um, Beethoven 1 far more than Mozart 15. Um, <laughs> like most people. Mozart like, 15 is like... I, I, I'm going go to it. It. Yeah. listen to Mozart 15 more now. Um, that it felt as if the idea in the first movement of Beethoven 1 is reintroduced more frequently than the idea in that we see in the first movement of Mozart 15. Um, I'm not sure if that's a fact or not, but it just seemed as if it was more apparent the da 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 Yeah. 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 And then it just keeps coming back and back, and it's so... I don't know. I just love it. It's so easy to follow and just, just carry along on the journey. Yeah. Okay, well... Great stuff there again, too. I think what you said is is all right, and hopefully our, our listeners heard that as well, that, again, we have this idea that's introduced mm-hmm. that sets the tone for this whole first movement and kind of for the whole symphony, e- even in, in even more basic terms. Like, I think you probably agree that this is like the Mozart, up-tempo, high-energy, exciting, fast music. Um, and what you pointed to is one of the things that Beethoven did much more than his predecessors, which is this kind of quasi-obsessional fixation on little ideas. Mm-hmm. Here it's, like you said, over and over and over, that he kind of gets hooked on and he uses to build out these first movements. But what you said there was great, and we kind of have our first theme, which is that, and it mm. builds and it gets very loud. And then at the end of this clip, hopefully our listeners heard, uh, you know, the, the music changes and we hear this very lyrical theme, which is our second theme, like we talked about in the sonata form. It changes character. It actually goes to a new key, which we might expect. Um, and so here we get to hear that that use of sonata form again by Beethoven. He's got this obsessional idea that's the primary theme, and then big contrast, this lyrical singing line for the second theme. So this this general form of first movements really, you know, Beethoven obviously had a huge impact on composers to come. And as we move even further into the history of, of symphonic composition, composers started to play with these ideas some. And so, you know, sometimes they would experiment with the first theme not necessarily being 
the most forward moving, excited of these, these, uh, themes. Sometimes they would introduce a new theme. Sometimes they would extend, uh, an idea. Sometimes they would start with a slow introduction. Sometimes they wouldn't. All of these things is what you would expect from like a great writer or something. You know, you don't want someone to compose or write exactly what's been written. And in many ways, you know, War and Peace is a more advanced book than the Iliad. But, you know, you probably can't really fully understand War and Peace until you at least have a knowledge of the Iliad and Canterbury Tales. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, the same is true of, of our visual art and dance and everything like that. So, um, but that's something to look out for as you get later and later in symphonic composition is what are the composers doing to play with the form of a first movement. So I want to give an example of that now. We'll listen to several clips um, from Mendelssohn's Third Symphony, Scottish Symphony, which is, as you know, one of my favorites. It's the first thing I conducted with ISO. Um, and there's a few interesting things here. So I'm just going to play a few clips from the, from the opening and, and get your impressions on, on this one as well. All right, so I'm curious, you know, that's the very beginning of this piece. And what's your reaction to the, the world, the sound that that has? Mournful. Mournful. Yeah, I think you're, you're totally right. And what about like kind of tempo? Um, Slow. Yeah, right. So that's very different from what we might expect. It's mm -hmm. not, it's certainly not fast. Now, this is a slow introduction, as we mentioned, Beethoven um, first symphony uses a slow introduction and, but this is not, if you think about the beginning of Beethoven seven, for example, mm. boom, 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 boom. And it's, it's got this very processional feel almost. This seems very different in a way, right? Mm. Like this is, uh, this is, I think what you said is perfect, mournful. And that's really not something we would expect from a first movement. So already there's something out of the norm from Mendelssohn here. He's starting not with kind of a processional style slow introduction. He's changing what the slow introduction can be. And he's using music that we might actually expect to hear in a slow movement at the beginning of the piece. So... Mm -hmm. A little interesting tweak to the form but then this goes on for a little while and then we actually like a, a standard classical symphony after the introduction we start the fast music so here's the beginning of the fast music
So any thoughts about, about that, knowing that that's the, how does that compare to the fast music that we've heard so far? Um, I mean, in comparison, it has much, so much more of like a darker feel to it, of course. Um, but it similarly de- introduces an idea and keeps developing it and yeah. keeps expanding on it. So that tracks, but it's more dark. It's more goth. <laughs> yeah, I, no, it, perfect. I mean, what you said there is great. And it, it's kind of like the Beethoven one that we listened to in that there's this small repeated idea over and over but it's soft, it's it's not crisp, like the stuff that we've heard in terms of like the articulation, it's very murky, it's goth, I like that, it's kind of like, and yeah, it's a, it, and I think what you said about the first movement setting the tone for the piece, you can see how the introduction set up this music, this mournful introduction set up this kind of murky, uh, primary theme so again like some of the some similar things the tempo is a moderate to fast tempo an idea that gets fixated on is that tracks but but some new elements from Mendelssohn so then the next theme that we get introduced to is this one So, I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but but what we've said about second themes being lyrical and softer and doesn't seem to track here, right? Not at I all. Mean, what do you get from this one? So dramatic. Yeah. And just, I mean, fast, of course, but it just feels very, um, just brutal, like almost warlike or something. Oh, right. Like there's a battle going on yeah. on stage. Yeah. I, you nailed it, because actually this music comes back in this kind of battle scene. And yeah. In fact, one of the ways in which this piece, and this is what you said about the first movement setting the tone for the entire piece becomes, I think, progressively more uh, kind of potent of Mm. an idea later in history. Mm. Because this piece will end with a kind of Scottish triumph in battle. And this first movement sets up this militaristic battle type of environment. And here, for me also, you know, what we were just saying, there's crisp articulation, it's much... This, to me, sounds much closer to what we would expect from a first theme than our first theme did. Mm -hmm. So, in some way, they've almost been a little bit flipped. Um, But everything you said there is great. Now, it turns out another kind of innovation from Mendelssohn. We get all this contrast in this movement between these characters. But we actually get a third theme, and so that's another little quirk of this piece is that we're not really playing with two themes like we were in the in the classical era but we're playing with three um and so here's the last theme that we hear in this in this opening of the first movement So impressions of that third theme, how does that compare to the other two? I mean, incredibly mysterious, and yeah. it's like there's a movement that I could add to that. It's just, or 
I don't mean movement as in symphonic. I yeah. mean music or movement physically. Yeah, yeah. Is like you're like swirling uh-huh. of some uh, some sense. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that doesn't that doesn't track. I mean, it was re reintroducing ideas. Yeah. But the succinctness was not like there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great too. I think so. This one is we don't really get in any of these themes, what we would expect from a standard second theme, which is this kind of heartwarming, lyrical, opera-style aria. This one, to me, I don't know if you agree, but, well, in in the context of what we just heard, the second theme, that brutal, crisp, militaristic one, this is definitely much kind of slower, softer, more lyrical, and so it falls for me much more in the second theme camp as opposed to the first theme camp it's mm-hmm. not you know it it to me it tracks more like a a lyrical theme than a driven one sure but i was actually i was just while i was listening i mean i chose this performance because i really like it but i don't love the their performance of this particular theme because okay. i think what you pointed to this almost felt like when they were playing it it had too much um uh kinetic motion and still too agitated like to me this has a very mysterious like you said and I also like kind of swirling but like very gently and very placid I I think you know to me this is like the most eerie music after Mm -hmm. a battle you can imagine and very you know total contrast from the previous theme yeah and so that's I think what's what Mendelssohn is doing here is he's taken the characters that we might expect from these symphonies and he's changed them, but he's still sticking to many of the things that we would expect. Contrast, slow introduction, up-tempo. But, you know, I think these composers felt like we can all probably understand there's 41 Mozart symphonies that do... Yeah. They don't do exactly the same thing, but they do relatively similar things. have to say something new. So... Mm. It's a good use of um, some of the first movement kind of form archetypes and and but also flipping some of them on their head. Yeah, it sounds like he was I obviously don't know much about Mendelssohn, but it sounds as if he was still respecting the yeah. form, putting his own take on it. Hundred percent really, really cool. Hundred percent. And I think there's a school of composers, what you said right there. Um, there's kind of this divide in the eighteenth in the 1800s, 19th century, in uh, music, especially in Austro-German music, between people who respected the form. That was the, after Beethoven, that was the Mendelssohn's and Schumann's, Brahms, um, to a later, in later times and to a somewhat lesser extent, Dvorak, um, even someone like Mahler, versus... Composers like Liszt and Wagner and Richard Strauss later and people who actively wanted to write totally new things, tone poems, music dramas. But when we, you know, composers who wrote Symphony Number no. 2 or something, they were paying homage in some way to the symphonies of old. And I think what you said there is great. And it's not uninteresting music because they do incredibly unique and new things but it's within this this mold so now i want to listen to one more 
clip of, uh, or, or a couple more clips of music here, from a very late symphony, we just alluded to it, but this is Mahler's first symphony. And now we're kind of in the turn of the century, uh, 1900s, little before that for this piece, but but modernism is is starting to to come about when this piece is composed. And um, I just want us to listen to the do the same exercise and find the ways in which this is still somewhat similar to before. And in this piece, you know, we're gonna skip a lot. I'd encourage our listeners to listen, but what you said at the very beginning about the first movement setting the tone, all that stuff holds very much in this piece. There's a big, long, slow introduction where we're introduced to a very simple idea, just this falling forth. And then it goes. That idea, tiny idea, gets fleshed out over the course of the entire symphony, where the second movement starts a falling forth. The third movement starts with a timpani playing. Boom, boom, boom. And the last movement ends with this boom, 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 The same idea over and over. So really in this symphony, what's introduced to us in the first movement comes back over and over. But there's this massive slow introduction and then we get faster music just like we might expect. And it feels like we're in this totally different non-symphonic world this is so far from the music of mozart or something like that but after this long slow introduction here's some of the music that we that we hear All right, so that's that's the the first that's the primary theme of this piece that we get introduced to after you know four minutes of slow introduction, great music. Uh, what's your impression of that? That one was harder for me to pin down. Um, what was being reintroduced again and again? There was something there that kept coming back up, but it's harder for me to just grasp it. Yeah. And then I totally got distracted at the end of that clip of the bird sounds. Yeah. So the bird sounds are, they they were introduced in the slow introduction. They're the same motif of boom, boom, the falling forth that comes back over and over and over. But what's your, what's your general impression on just the, the mood, the, knowing that that's the primary first theme, how does it, how does it sound? It sounded very leisurely. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's because of the bird sounded, but also very nature-esque. Yeah. Perfect. No, it's very pastoral, mm. nature-driven. Another way in which this movement sets the tone for uh, the whole piece. And you, you nailed it right there. This movement is all about nature. and. But interestingly, I mean, to me, this is a little bit in that Mendelssohn zone where it starts with a kind of hazy... In this case, it's very optimistic, but it's still a kind of hazy easing into the the fast music um but but still i mean even in this piece very late after we've had this long slow introduction that doesn't even remotely resemble like a french overture introduction we get this faster music that's going to return as our primary theme over and over 
So then let's just hear a little bit later towards the end of this, what we've been calling the exposition, the opening of the sonata form, and hear, hear what happens. So that's kind of the rest of the the exposition. Any any impressions of that one? Wow, um, it was, that was fun, amazing. Right? Yeah. yeah, it felt so playful, mm-hmm. and there's like a childlike quality to it. The da 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 da. Yes. That part yeah. felt so. It's like almost teasing or something like that, yeah. but in like a playful way, not in like a bullying. Way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you're, you're totally right. And you caught a couple of, so that motif that you just sung there, which was, which is introduced as kind of another Mm. little bird call in the intro. Um, that is one of the main ideas of this movement. Mm -hmm. We also heard at the beginning this boom, 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 which kind of almost in a very fleeting way acts as like a, a second theme, but all of this happens so fast that we can't really even think of it like that, but we heard it kind of underneath all of that loud music when it comes back. You actually hear that opening theme again, the first, the low brass, but and then the trumpet plays the same thing. And it's an interesting, you know, tweaking of the form because now we've got all of this action. Normally what a composer would do is write a very small, slow introduction as kind of a trivial opening. And then in the case of Beethoven, like Beethoven's Eroica Symphony, he'd write this massive exposition, eight minutes long, multiple themes, churn through all of these ideas. Mahler has kind of flipped that, you know, mm-hmm. he wrote this huge slow introduction and then the entire exposition happens in like a minute. There was a lot going on yes. in that clip. It was, yeah. it was, overwhelming but not in a in a way that made me like shut down Uh it's made me very curious now i want to listen to it even yeah yeah yeah. well i I like and you know what yeah like what what happened is almost yeah he's flipped it on its head where now the the action or the the brunt of the narrative action is happening in these spots that have historically been less touched in the symphonic form and the actual spots that are most important kind of get compressed and they happen quickly and but he's doing all of the same things like you said he's mixing ideas there's this yum bum 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 there's that comes over and over and over um but yeah it's a fascinating uh use of or tweaking of the first movement form and if our listeners go and listen to this entire movement i think they'll have the impression of It'll just feel the slightest bit like a first movement. Mm. In many ways, it'll feel like a tone poem, this totally formless uh, kind of 
nature painting, but in some way there's a little allusion to... That's what I love about Mahler so much is mm-hmm. that it's such a masterful fusion of, of everything that came before him and also really modern music in so many ways. So in any case, that's kind of a, a roadmap of first movements, uh, what, what to expect. And I'm curious, just as we close, like anything that surprised you there, anything new or, or just how, how do you think this will shape your listening to first movements? Well, um, I have multiple thoughts. First, what I was thinking was how how cool it is to see all of these composers throughout time sort of like respect the art form but put, put their own sort of artistic quality on it and spin on it, which is really cool to see and learn from you. And um, I... I listen to classic FM. I like uh-huh. pretend that I live in the UK and put in yeah. like, my zip so oh, that nice. I can listen oh, to sweet. the app. Um, and they constantly play first movements. Uh-huh. And I always sort of knew why, but like this discussion really validated that it like packs in yeah. sort of like the whole piece. And it makes sense that like a radio station would do that because when are they going to be able to play a whole symphony on radio? Right. Um, so, and I think now I'm going to be looking in more closely, even more closely on like the first movements yeah. to see sort of, it's almost like Easter egg. Like you can sort of pick up like, okay, what's going to come up later on. Yeah. Um, just very cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think what you said there is a good takeaway for our listeners that I think the first movement of most, the first movements historically are the richest. And there's the most to be gained in a way from close listening. I think a lot of times second, third, and second and third especially, and sometimes fourth movements, are the characters are very obvious and somewhat simple because they're character pieces. You know, sometimes we'll talk about second movements on the next episode, but sometimes that will just be a really simple kind of slow aria melody. It's not a ton to be interpreted there. It's just kind of a beautiful melody with simple accompaniment that you listen to, and it's it's beautiful. Mm. First movements, they're, they're so rich. Mm. There's motivic development. There's multiple themes. There's tweaks to the form. The form is the most complex. You know, a lot of times second and third movements will have A, B, A, the form of a first movement of a Mahler symphony can be like A, B, C, B, D, E, B, C, A, B, A, you know, something crazy that's very hard to follow in a way, but lends itself to tons of interpretation. And so I think it's, yeah, I mean, if our listeners want to go down a rabbit hole and first, you know, get their feet wet, listen to the first movements of a few Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven symphonies, and then What's great is, like you said, I mean, I think it's, hopefully it was fun for our listeners to hear a little bit about, like, the Mendelssohn Symphony and how it's a little different. If you pick up any Mendelssohn, Schumann, Brahms, Dvorak, any composer from the 1800s, mid-1800s later, and listen to their first movements, there'll be something in there that's unique, different, pushing the form... And you can really try to listen, figure it out for yourself. You know, unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, I can't be there to help with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure most people don't even want that. But, but uh, 
but yeah, it's, it's, it, it is kind of a rabbit hole that you can go down more than I'd say the other movements of a symphony. So hopefully this is helpful. We'll, we'll break down the other movements of a symphony on, um, on future episodes, but Hannah, it's great to be back in person with you. Um, what was the, what was the first thing you did when you were, when you got back or like, what's the first thing you did in person with like people? Oh gosh. Um, was it like a, a slow ease in? Or it, was was a it, sl- a- it was a slow ease in. Cause when I got fully vaxxed, I was super busy with just stuff that was going on and it was all remote. Uh-huh. So I just couldn't really partake in, Oh, I'm fully vaxxed right. now. Um, but we were at a get together a couple weeks yes. ago with a, like 30 people. And yeah. I think that was probably the largest get together that I've been at since going into lockdown. And yeah. man, it was great to see all those people. But in the beginning I was like, Oh wow. I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but great. I mean, just taking it a day at a time. Yeah, no, yeah. that's great. It's same for me. I don't, I don't know that there's anything that sticks out. It was kind of like a, my first like outdoor gathering with yeah. 12 people, mm. then my first indoor gathering with like four people, then my, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm dying yeah. to go to the movie theater, but there aren't, I, there's not a movie that I want to go out and pay like $15 right. to go see. So, but don't maybe. I don't know if I've gone to a movie in like 15 years. No. <laughs> <laughs> I should do that at some point. It's been since 2019 for me. There so, well. That's great. I'm, I, I hope for all of our listeners, too, that they're, you know, the reopenings hopefully are wherever people are listening are, are starting to happen and that they're starting to feel more comfortable going out and getting their life back. And we certainly are glad to be podcasting in person. So we will see everybody soon. And thanks, as always, for joining us.